0: either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? (laughs) You waste all our film.
1: It's so bad.
0: Who's ready to get small? I mean, really, really small. For the third time, we'll talk about Ant-Man and more this week. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. Let's start out with Scott Lang and Hope. What? <laughs> Van Dyne, along with Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne, exploring the Quantum Realm, where they interact with strange creatures and embark on an adventure that goes beyond the limits of what they thought was possible. This is Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania. Scott, you're at X-Con. How are you an Avenger?
1: That doesn't make sense.
0: But everywhere I go, people tell me the same thing.
1: Thank you, Spider-Man. People still need help, Dad. That's why we made this. It's like a satellite for deep space, but... quana. Wait, wait a minute. You're sending a signal down to the quantum realm.
2: Turn it off. Now!
0: What are you so afraid of? There's something I never told you.
2: This place. It isn't what you think I can get you home. And give you more time. If you help me. So, what's it gonna be? Batman.
0: Well, if we're counting, this is number three for the Ant-Man franchise. And we were told, we were set right, this is now the first film in Phase 5 of the Marvel Universe. Is that correct? Are we right with that? I'm pretty sure.
2: <laughs> I hope you're not asking me. We got that news <laughs> from some guy leaving the screening. But we looked it up, and that yes, and I Yes, I have since
0: confirmed that. Yes, yeah, so this is kicking off Phase 5. And the first two Ant-Man movies, just Ant-Man and then Ant-Man and the Wasp,
2: I thought were solid. They were well, pretty solid. But here's the thing about the first Ant Man movie, which which people had very low expectations of, and then we see it, we just loved it. But one of the reasons is Edgar Wright, mm-hmm. Joe Cornish, and Adam McKay wrote that movie, and that's a pedigree.
0: And Paul Rudd gets a screenplay credit on those as well. So you don't know if that's due to ad libs or if he was actually involved. So yeah, and I think we both think that is the major stumbling block with this one because you've got the same director, has been with all three, Peyton Reed, but a brand new writer, Jeff Loveness. And there's just a real there's just a real weakness in the tone, in the the type of character and the type of adventure that we've come to expect and really like for Ant Man. And the funny thing is it's it's bookended by two segments that really do tap into that vibe. Mm-hmm. Um well they're not technically bookended because first you have a prologue and then at the very end, of course, you have a mid-credits uh, stinger and an end-credit stinger. But between those, then there are, uh, there's a bookends of sequences set with Scott Lang slash Ant Man uh, set to the tune of "Welcome Back, Hotter, the mm-hmm. "Welcome Back" song, and it it does it ties into that very self-effacing. You know, he's called Spider-Man instead of uh, Ant-Man, and 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 that gets us in, especially the beginning. It makes us feel comfortable with the character. Okay, this is this is what we're used to, but then after it goes off into the adventure, it's just it's not the same. And you make a good point because it's removed from the fish out of water type of sequences that Paul Rudd can have fun with. You're no longer in the city mm-hmm. and things like that. He's he's pulled in not just not just Ant Man, but the whole family. They're just trying to have a pizza party, right? And all of them are pulled into the quantum realm thanks to the daughter, Cassie, now played by Catherine Newton. She's a budding young scientist herself, and she invents this thing to send a signal down to the quantum realm. And oh, oh, oh you know, Janet says, "Don't do that." Before you know it, boom! They're all down there, and then you're in this totally different world that just throws everything askew. I think.
2: Yeah, and you know. He he was always able to make the, it's funny because he's kind of a dork and he's an Avenger. And all the other Avengers are not dorks and they're very <laughs> big and powerful. And you're like, what? Well, once you're out in this quantum realm, which is just, you know, it's just like being on Tatooine. Um, it's really it, does. You, you don't have that comparison and contrast to make. And that's the other thing is that, you know, so much of this story just rips off early Star Wars films. There's
0: a lot of early Star Wars vibe. Very much so with the creatures and some of the the sequences they put them in. Yes. Um, overall, I thought the whole quantum realm thing just didn't look too great. No. The CGI was not up to snuff, and yeah, a lot of it gave that that early Star Wars vibe. And then it starts once you see. And I, you know, we're not we're not telling any things out of school here. I think pretty much everybody knows Bill Murray's got a cameo in this. And he shows up and you're thinking that, oh, OK, they're trying to do the Jeff Goldblum yep, Ragnarok yep. thing. And then J- J- Jonathan Majors, who is Kang the Conqueror, who's great. He's a great actor. He is and a great he's actor. everywhere right now. And, and I w- wish him all the success because he deserves it. It's just it, it's not a very, at least right now, is at least not a very interesting villain. And when he shows up and things get ultra serious, that just runs smack headlong into the the different vibes that are bandied about down there. And he just, it doesn't have its own identity.
2: No, not at all. And the comedic moments are so out of place. They're so, I mean, we, we were saying, we were comparing them to, to, you know, the Thor films, but really they're almost more like aqua, Hunger Force. Well,
0: especially with what they do with t- this time with the Corey Stall character, Darren, mm. who's back. Uh, that's just so weird.
2: And it, normally, weird is good. It just doesn't suit this tone. Well, that's the thing. They can't land on a tone.
0: Yeah, they really can't. And I don't think the you know the adventure is that interesting. As you, they're, they're all they're all uh, caught down there in the quantum realm. And there's a reason that Kang has been there the whole time. Because if we remember in our our Marvel uh, book of memories. Uh, <laughs> Janet spent like thirty years yep. down there in the yep. quantum realm. Well, it turns out there's some things that she didn't tell the fam about what went on down there, and there's a good reason why Kang can never be let out. But he's so powerful, why can't he get out? Um, as, as you pointed out, there are, he's got these all powerful abilities, but yet they do have some some drawbacks well, or some a funny limitations. Thing. So
2: they there he's he he can bend time, and that's why he's been sent to the quantum realm because there's no time, although there's clearly time. Everybody is spending time, but that would be... Anyway, but the other thing is that... But he has powers that we don't know what they are, that we're not told that they... You know what I mean? I mean, it's just... He's a very poorly defined right, villain. Right. And he is a great actor. He's a great actor. And but he has not- a couple of good scenes with, with Michelle Pfeiffer, who's really, in a lot of ways, the star of the film. And she does a good job does, in the yeah, film. She's yeah. a fun sort of action hero. But... Uh, but it's just too little. It's too little of the film, and then it doesn't match up tonally with any of the other parts of the film.
0: Yeah, it just it just sort of wanders. I think in some instances it has some decent ideas. They get into a little bit about revolution and, and the people and things yeah. like that. Okay, is this where we're going? But everything is just just wanders off on its own sort of tangent. It never really comes together, especially when, as as we talked about earlier, it it's set up by these. these two, well, set up at the beginning, and then at the end, you have a little epilogue of the perfect vibe, I think, that was already set for Mm -hmm. the character and the hero. And and we're used to it, and we're comfortable with it, and then it just goes off in a totally different direction that I just just don't think works at all. No. Um, And it's very, very... It's not horrible, but for for me personally, with the whole um, Marvel canon, it's pretty low. Yeah, It's pretty low on the... uh, Because I'm the one, I say very often that I don't think that the Ragnarok type of, of humor for the Thor character is very funny, and I didn't like Love and Thunder at all, no, but I a liked lot of Ragnar- people Ragnar-
2: do. I liked Ragnarok a lot. I did not like Love and Thunder. Yeah,
0: I always feel like I'm the outlier there, and that's totally fine because everybody's sense of humor is the same, but it's just not much of anything really works, no. uh, is cohesive about this movie. So, uh, yeah, so dis- a disappointment definitely for Ant-Man and the Wasp, Mania, and it's everywhere right now. Boy, next up, one that everybody's talking about and a lot of people, including us, were disappointed by. After Christopher Robin abandons film, after Christopher Robin abandons them for college, Pooh and Piglet embark on a bloody rampage as they search for a new source of food. It's Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey. You know, you're the first person i ever shown this place to. And
1: um, Why am I so special?
0: Because soon we will be Christopher and Mary Robin. You should be close now.
1: We're not going to find them.
0: We will. Pooh, Piglet, Eeyore. We were friends for many years and they're out there.
2: Christopher, we need to leave. Now. I really need to find out what's happened here, okay?
0: Well, here's the thing. If you didn't know, Winnie the Pooh is now public domain. So these guys were the first to jump on it with a a inspired idea, and I think it seems to me that it just got away from them because once the trailer got out, word started getting around, and people were all about this movie, including us. Yeah. And then you find out that it was 50, a fifty thousand dollar budget. This is a low budget low budget uh, experience, and They pulled it off. I'll give them that. But I think everybody's expectations got way too high.
2: It is a great idea, which is to say, you know, what happens if when Christopher Robin leaves the Hundred Acre Wood, Pooh and the gang just go feral? That's a brilliant idea. I wish they'd hired a good writer. Yeah. Rice Frake Waterfield mm-hmm. is the writer and director here. Right. And and he does accomplish a great deal with the amount of money that he has. It looks good. Now the sound, the sound is money, but other than that the production values are great. The locations yeah, are great. Especially
0: the dialogue. Yeah. The dialogue sound you a lot of times, what? Yeah, it's, it's very muddy. But I give you that the production values, the uh, the set design, and yeah. look pretty well. Yeah, look pretty yeah. Good.
2: And there are some, and there are some shots that are very cool too. The the major problem with this film, the number one biggest problem with this film, is that it is about a thirty minute script that is stretched painfully to the ninety minute mark. True. And so, and not even in ways that you would normally like. Usually, if you're going to stretch out a film like this, what you do is you shoot a lot of running. You, you run behind people for a long time. You shoot a lot of the woods, but that's they don't pad in that way. Each scene is just stretched out minutes longer than it should be. So what happens is, in a film where there ought to be a great deal of, of action, which is to say people should be moving about. Instead, they're not. They're spending a lot of time reacting in one spot for a very long time when you're like, Run, please. And repeating dialogue. Oh, there's so much. Why are you doing this? I mean, I bet it, I bet somebody says it 300 times.
0: Yeah. Even at the very beginning, the setup, um, which is, I think the setup is decent. It, yeah. It, the whole thing about Christopher Robin and he brings, you know, a, a date there. And, oh, I want to see, see my old friends. Yeah. Like, okay, here we go. But even that is drawn out way too long. Yeah. And yeah, it feels like a short film that just got away from them. And even the kills... Once they start, they're not really inspired. I think the effects are okay, especially when you hear that it's a fifty thousand dollar budget. But uh, whoa, it just gets it just gets so tiresome and dumb. Yeah, some of the things that happen just strain, strain uh, belief and and not in a good way because it could have been funny in a satirical way, or or even in a so bad it's good way. Yeah, but it's it's just not. No, it's really really disappointing and. We we don't say that because we're happy about it. We no. we were very much looking forward to it. And
2: rooting for them. Yeah. Honestly. Yeah. You know, we were rooting for this to be uh just a little hilarious or even not hilarious, scary. We wanted to go in and have our children childhoods ruined. <laughs> I know I did. Um we were hoping for more. We were rooting for them, but uh no.
0: Yeah, and actually we know somebody in in L.A., not our son who lives in L.A., but a friend in L.A. who went to a screening of this with the filmmakers in attendance, And he reported back that it really—I think it really um, bolsters the idea that this thing just got away from them. That they were trying to tramp down some of these expectations because look, people—we had a fifty-thousand-dollar budget. Don't expect Schindler's List here.
2: Yeah, I, you know, and I do. I think you know they made a very low-budget movie. They thought maybe it would hit a couple of art houses, or maybe it would do well for them in festivals, or maybe it wouldn't do anything at all, and they could get a streamer, and then. The trailer came out. And to be honest, it's not a great trailer. It's just a great concept. Yeah. And so everybody on earth, all horror fans anyway, were like, <laughs> give it to me. Right. Right. And so, yeah, I do. I mean, I really do. I feel badly uh, in a way for the filmmakers. On the other hand, I, I just wish... They hadn't been the ones to come up with this idea. Yeah, um, or he just hired a better writer.
0: But as yeah, but as far as directing wise, like you said, there are some decent shots and some decent uh, production values. It sound a little muddy, but uh, but yeah, as a story, as a horror film, yeah, just uh, not there, not there, and a disappointment for Winnie the Pooh: Blood and Honey. It's out in a lot of theaters right now. Next up, a group of really three films marketed as one. Doesn't really have, well, it does have a trailer. They do have a trailer, but it's just nothing but music, so we won't play it. <laughs> but it's the, uh, the 2023 Oscar-nominated short films, which we always look forward to. Oh, yes. And this has been, uh, it's been several years now, but uh, somebody had this genius idea years ago to take the short films that get nominated for Oscars and separate them into their categories, live action, animation, and documentary, put them in feature-length blocks, and put them out and let people see them on
2: the big screen. I love this. I do, too. As we've said for for years, you know, we love short films, and it's very, very hard to find short films. And, of course, the Academy kind of gathers together what they think are the very best. And you just think, as we were kids, watching the Oscars, going, why can't I watch these? Oh,
0: yeah. I remember thinking that very clearly as a kid. Where How do people know about these movies? Where can they see them to even nominate them? hmm and for a lot of times now even still it's f- film festivals but there's m- there's many more opportunities to sh- see short films streaming yes. and and for different platforms there's shorts tv and what have you but even that here again you can see them on the big screen yep. which is a great a great opportunity and it's nice to see they're getting really a wide wide release yes, across the country for these and in the case of i think just the animation block because the animated shorts usually run a little shorter mm-hmm. and there are only five nominees so you put them together and it doesn't really add up to feature length. If that's the case, they add some other very right. good animated shorts at the end. The other two are feature length. In fact, the do- the uh, documentary block runs close to three hours sure. because the documentary shorts usually push the limit of a short, yes. 40 minutes yeah, or so. Yeah. So that one takes a while. But obviously, they're all very good. If you have to pick one, just which one do you like more? You like animated, Animated. live action, or or documentary? (laughs) They're all really, really good. And it's funny, over the years as we've been doing these, we pick a winner, we pick a favorite. We're We're terrible.
2: These are the ones we miss the most. What What is our batting average on this? I mean, it's not good.
0: And I certainly have, we certainly have our favorites this year as well, so we'll see. But there's just some really, really great stuff from all over the globe. Different stories, d- documentaries where you'll learn new things and, and just some really great use of animation and different animation styles. Mm-hmm. And I will say, if you watched the nominations uh, that morning, or just read about them later, you were probably struck by two of the titles right. of the animated block. One is called <laughs> My Year of Dicks. Yep. Yes, that's what it means, <laughs> and the other one is called an ostrich. Told me the world is fake, and I think I believe it. Right, and that is fun too. That one is very uh, Wallace, Wallace, and, Wallace Gromit and Gromit stop motion. So yeah, oh my god, I are, love those. Those are both in the animated animated block. So yeah, if they're out there, pick a pick a block and check them out because this is a chance to see them on the big screen, and we love them. The Oscar nominated short films out there now in theaters next one is showing now in some theaters and also on Apple TV it's an Apple original where motivations are suspect and expectations are turned chaos as a con artist takes on Manhattan billionaires it's called sharper
1: you can't cheat an honest man that's why we never feel sorry for the mark I
2: really like
1: you I really like you too you lied to me
2: we're all human just doing the best we can
1: You cause your mother anguish, and I will not have it. She wants me gone.
0: How do you think it's this? Not well.
1: What did you tell him?
2: I'm gonna take a billion dollars, and aim it in your direction. Is this real?
0: This is real. How can
1: I be sure? If
0: you're gonna steal, steal a lot.
2: Julianne Moore. So yes, right there. I mean, I'll see anything that she's in. But also con movies are fun. Con movies, heist movies. Yeah. They are fun. And this is a con, not really a heist. Well, they are stealing a lot of money.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a con and a mystery. And the, the uh, sharper, we're told at the beginning, sharper is a term for a person who lives by their wits. Mm. I did not know that. New term sharper. And yeah, this is one where the, uh, the director, uh, Benjamin Karen, this is his feature debut, he's been working a lot in TV, episodic okay. TV. I think The Crown has been working on well, that, yeah, things that's like that. Right. Uh, tells the story in chapters, each one named for the major players. So you get, early on, you get on one person's side, and then you see, oh, there's there's different... It's not quite a Rashomon thing, mm-hmm. because it doesn't go over the exact... exact same details. Yeah, but it's the same sort of universe the same area that we're dealing with pretty much the same uh mystery but different you go back a little farther to see how this character works into it and then how is this character involved and basically it revolves around um tom who's played by justice smith who we remember is the member from detective pikachu that's right yeah Uh, (laughs) he is uh the owner of a struggling bookstore in new york city and when Sandra, who's played by Brianna Middleton, who we last saw in the Tender Bar, mm-hmm. comes in, gets a book, and then they start a relationship. A few weeks later, he is ready to give her 300 some 1000 dollars to bail out her troubled brother's debts to some bad guys. And then he hands her the cash, and she walks away with the satchel, and yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the first con, but there's a lot more going on is then it starts. Then it gives her story. And then we we find out about his father. Um, Tom's father is a billionaire played by John Lithgow, and he's got a new wife played by Julianne Moore. And she has a very wayward ne'er do well son played by Sebastian Stan. They all become intertwined in this mystery and who's conning who. And it's really well set up. And it's well-performed. It's a great cast. So much so that I think it, it ironically contributes to the little misstep at the end. Because two-thirds of it, you're in. You you believe. You buy that these people are pros. They know all the angles. And that only becomes a problem at the end when you get the final reveal, the final con. You just think, somebody would have seen this coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because we did. It's, it's one that you can sniff out pretty easily. In fact... About halfway through the movie, one of the characters calls out this same sort of con. And that just lets you know even more, well, their antenna is already up for this type of play, which only increases, for for me, it only increased the chance that the character would would sniff it out later. Sure. But I, I don't think it ruins the movie. No. It's still enjoyable. Like yes. you say, con movies are fun. Mm-hmm. It is well set up. The writers are Brian Gatewood and Alessandro Tanaka and certainly well-performed. The cast is great, and you're right. Always great to see Julianne Moore in anything, um, but just a little a little bit at the end where you're like, huh, I, I'm not sure if that would have gone down that way. Somebody would have sniffed it out. Other than that, though, it is enjoyable, pretty solid, in theaters and on Apple TV right now called Sharper. <laughs> Horror film next that is not porn, despite the title. Valaria has long dreamed about becoming a mother. After learning that she's pregnant, she expects to feel happy, yet something's off. This is Huey Sarah, the Bone Woman.
2: This is a Spanish language film. Yeah. And it takes uh an old like a folk tale of the Bone Woman and sort of utilizes it to tell a very different kind of maternal horror film horror story and i loved it i loved uh i loved the direction that it took i love that it's not really tidy you know in the way that it works the sort of supernatural element in with the realistic elements I think all of the performances are great, and one of the things I also really liked about it is the relationship between the husband and wife because very often if if it's a story where you know the the thing is that both of these people these couple this couple, they keep making personal sacrifices just because the larger family requires it, and so right away, when they find out that they're pregnant, the husband's mother wants to buy them a crib, but valeria. Has been making a crib with mm-hmm. power tools, and I mean, she's clearly, clearly quite skilled. And the husband just caves and lets her, oh. his mom, buy this Bad ugly, ba- right? But then, and that's what you think. You think, uh oh, he's weak, the mm-hmm. mother-in-law. But mm-hmm. then the next thing you know, they go to visit Valeria's parents, and you realize this is even worse with what, <laughs> what's going on here. Yeah. You know, and it, it, the whole film opens with a trek, a journey to this massive, I mean, massive uh, statue of the Blessed Virgin. Like, like uh, you know, it's, it's actually 160 feet tall. And so, so that she can be, Valeria can maybe be blessed and, and conceive. And then the camera slowly pulls back. And what starts off as sort of this beautiful image of the Blessed Virgin, suddenly you see the the mother, she's a tiny insect, at the foot of this giant, monstrous being. It's just, it's a really great image, mm-hmm. and it sets you up for something very unusual, which is what the film, uh, you know, executes. It's, it's a great movie.
0: The writer, co-writer, and director is Michelle Garza Severa.
2: And she does just a wonderful job mm-hmm. of playing on your preconceived notions and then taking it a different direction.
0: And this is available in theaters now and on Prime Video. Hey, Sarah, the bone woman. Let's move to a documentary. It tells the story of one of Eurocult cinema's most singular voices. This is called Orchestrator of Storms, The Fantastic World of Jean Roland.
1: Jean Roland had the greatest passion in making films. He had a passion for everything that he did in his life.
2: You can feel this dense cultural richness in all of his references. There's so much more going into these films than just surface exploitation.
1: On voit trois images de Jean Rollin, on sait que c'est un film de Jean Rollin. C'est déjà,
2: sa patte, quoi.
1: They wanted recognition from the French, but they thought he was mad. He's absolutely pulling from the well of the Surrealists. It is fantastic. It is pulling from mythology, eroticism, Beauty, violence.
2: If you know Jean Roland, then you probably want to see this movie. (laughs) Um, And if you don't, well, you're not alone. He, um, He is a horror genre filmmaker from the sort of... He started off the end of the 60s, so mainly the 70s, 80s, 90s. Very long career, but he's French, and it's an interesting... Uh idea because he really got started at the exact same time as the French new wave, and for a number of reasons he was loathed because you know the French new wave was was a force a you know a global force, and his films, which are um very metaphorical, super naked, not gritty, not political, they ran counter to everything that was going on in France at the time and the truth is that um his output is you know, uh, you have to have a certain taste to appreciate <laughs> because he's mainly known for naked lesbian vampires. He's kind mm-hmm. of the Jess Franco of France. Yeah. If you don't know who Jess Franco is, well, he's the Jean Roland of Spain.
0: <laughs> um, <I> mean, <laughs> and uh, but he actually did some actual porn. Those just straight up porn.
2: Yes, he did. As he you know, he struggled for decades to continue to make films. And so he did. He got into porn uh made just straight up porn for a long time. And it's actually where he came across some of the actresses right. who are best known in in his film uh his films. Um and he has made some some really excellent, I mean excellent might be a strong word, but some really memorable, uh interesting horror films. Um and and the description is right. He he's a singular vision. Nobody makes movies like him. And for me, that's the one thing that the documentary really sort of misses Mm -hmm. is his panache. We needed to see more of his work is essentially what we needed to see. They do a great job of putting together lots of different voices, lots of different sort of uh, experts on his his craft and his his catalog. None of them fully address that for a lot of people. The majority of Jean Roland's films are bad. Right. I mean, you know, and and the truth is, um, even for fans and I and I'm more or less a fan still at least 50 percent of his films are bad. Zombie Lake is terrible. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> but he has made some great movies, and, and I think that it, you know, if you are a fan, even a passing fan, y- you need to just check this movie out. Yeah, it's Orchestrator
0: of Storms. I like that title. The Fantastic World of Jean Roulan," and that's on VOD Now. Another documentary next, a heartwarming collective portrait of eight unique men whose lives have been changed by their love for cats. Some of these men will navigate the unprecedented challenges of 2020 with the help of these feline friends. It's called Cat Daddies.
1: People see a cat dad and they're like, oh, you must be weird and creepy. And I feel like we're getting to a point where it's going to be okay to be like, yeah, I have cats. One of my good friends in college asked this group of male friends, what do you guys think if I got a couple cats? Definitely the reaction was like, no, man, you can't do that.
0: Men have always loved cats. Some of those old stereotypes that are fading away. The immediate gratification of taking a cat off the street.
1: Being homeless almost two years. It's hard. Lucky first and
2: foremost has become his family.
1: That little creature just saved my life.
2: Christy Robb reviewed this one for us, and she was as confused as you and I were by the, the, the core concept here, which is that apparently... People find it weird for a man to to really love cats. That is
0: weird. I because
2: not... you are a cat daddy.
0: I, yes, and I love cats. I love dogs, too. I think yes. the problem, the, not the problem, but the reason I have had cats most of my life is because, especially when I've become an adult, I've lived in places that didn't let me have a dog. Yeah. Or I would have one. Right. Uh, But I love cats. Yes, you love cats. I I didn't realize that was a problem either.
2: No, I did not realize it was weird, but it's one of the main sort of threads of this film. And regardless whether you buy that that's weird or you don't buy that that's weird, it is a lovely set of stories about men and their cats. And some of them are just sort of silly, some of them are very moving. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like it's, you know, I mean, you and I, how much time do we spend per day just watching cat videos? (laughs) And I don't think we're alone. A lot of people do. So I feel like if that's. If you want a heartwarming cat video that's 90 minutes long, I think this is the movie that that you want to go see.
0: Exactly. And you can check out Christie's review at madwolf.com, but it's in theaters. Cat Daddies. They should have a screening where you can bring your cats. They should. Cat Daddies out now. All right, enough sweetness. How about some bloodletting? This one follows dangerous criminals on a cargo ship who are transported from the Philippines to South Korea. As they unleash a sinister force after an escape attempt leads to a riot, this is called Project Wolf Hunting.
1: Oh,
0: the bloodshed! Ooh. Oh. The Blood Rain.
2: <laughs> Brandon Thomas reviewed this one for us and he got lucky because this is so if you're a fan of South Korean genre filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're getting the best of all of it here, like the, the best of the action films and the best of the horror films, because it starts off, you know, they're prisoners, they're isolated, they're on a ship. And you know what? Not enough films take advantage of how Claustrophobic and and isolated you are on a ship. Not enough genre films do that. This one does. And then what you don't realize, or what the prisoners don't realize, is they're beating the shit out of each other. Is that there's a zombie essentially down in the hold, and that's going to come out soon enough. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. Mm-hmm. It's nuts. But but they really do the best you can possibly hope for with the action, with the fisticuffs, with the you know gunplay, with the gore. It's so ooey. No, (laughs) gooey
0: gooey and oozy yeah it's it's
2: viscous the film is oh nice so i mean i just feel like you you probably know right now am i the audience for this movie if you think you might be we're saying that you are (laughs) check out brandon's
0: review at madwolf.com yeah how his challenge in the review was to come up with different ways to just say blood splatter right and ooze and gore and (laughs) you can check out his review project wolf hunting on vod now Another documentary next, an energetic exploration of male identity via the lives, personalities, and adventures of a diverse band of men. Real men across the globe, all sharing the same name, James Bond. This is called The Other Fellow. Do you know
1: why we're making this film?
2: Um, because you want to know what it's like to be a James Bond.
1: My name is Bond. 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 James Bond. I'll think some home my James Bond. You can't be an to be a James Bond, it's impossible. Imagine being told the same joke every day for a couple decades. The name is Bond. James Bond.
0: And he's like, you're yeah, right, I'm Donald Trump Get on
2: the ground. Get on the ground. His
0: name, in this case, is gonna haunt him. When this one came up, we knew we had one person that had to review this movie, <laughs> and that was Schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin. Because not only does also, he share a, a name with a famous person, maybe not as famous as James Bond, but he loves the James Bond franchise. He,
2: he absolutely does. And he liked this movie. He thought that this movie was so much better than expected. I like the idea. Oh, I really yeah. do. Because not only is it is it a collection of interesting stories about what it's like to have this name and these different humans who have this name, but it's really, it is... It's a documentary about identity, so it, it does a great job of, of staying true to that larger goal, and it's just so—it's fun.
0: Yeah, yeah, because there are so many angles to it. Just Just you read the synopsis, you think, oh, yeah, what if I had a name like that? How would it affect my daily life and and things and situations Well, people don't believe that's your name, quit effing with me, things like that. Yeah, it's a fascinating idea.
2: And it runs the gamut here from the people who find it mildly annoying to the people who really like it to the people who really hate it to the people who have found giant problems with it. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating
0: and a great idea. Another example of how documentaries, you know, they come up with an idea and something you don't know about, and, and, ah, never thought about that, and then take you into it and make it entertaining and informative. It's called The Other Fellow. Check out Daniel's review at madwolf.com, and it's on VOD now. And next up is a drama shot guerrilla-style in dangerous parts of the southern Philippines. It's S.J. Finley's feature film debut featuring a cast of non-actors whose lives closely mimic the tale of a boy cut up in a chain of events beyond his control. It's called Boy From Nowhere.
2: Rachel Willis reviewed this movie for us at MadWolf.com. It's a very fascinating, interesting story about, essentially, child soldiers. Mm-hmm. And the reason that it's, even though it's clear from the beginning, as you would imagine, the filmmakers' thoughts on child soldiers, and, and just the horror and the, and the tragedy of, of children being sort of swept up into this kind of a, of a life and, and everything. What's interesting about this movie is that, it you know, the soldiers are being recruited because... The culture is under attack and is probably soon to just no longer exist. Mm-hmm. And so the film exposes you to people who really think that this is the best thing these children can do, right. that, that, that this is what they would want to do. And it's, of course, they, you don't agree with that. You don't go along with it. But I do think that it's an interesting side of the story that you've absolutely never seen before. Exactly. It's a beautiful movie. It's touching and, and, and tragic, of course.
0: Yeah, and knowing that they use non-actors uh, just makes it all the more all the more resonant and, of course, authentic. Yes. And you can check out Rachel's review at madwolf.com. It's called Boy From Nowhere on VOD Now. We were just talking about schlocketeer Daniel Baldwin. Let's go uh, see what he's got. Let's all go to the
1: lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby.
0: Checking back into the lobby, Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. The Schlocketeer, always ready with the latest studio news and updates. What's shaking?
1: Well, Lionsgate has picked up the U.S. distribution rights for Guy Ritchie's espionage action comedy Operation Fortune, uh, the one that was previously tied up in the STX problems. And that will now hit theaters in wide release on March 3rd. And stars Jason Statham, Aubrey Plaza, Josh Hartnett, Carrie Elwes, and Hugh Grant. And then... On March 31st, Neon is releasing a folk horror film called *Ennis Men. Also on that same day, Apple TV Plus will premiere their biographical drama Tetris, which stars Taron Egerton as as the man who helped bring the popular game to the world at large in the late 80s. Um, Have you watched the trailer yet? I have not. Well, it looks like it's got healthy doses of crime and espionage at play due to the fact that the game's inventor hailed from the Soviet Union, so the guy had to go over there to uh, negotiate with them during the middle of the Cold War.
0: Wow. <laughs> so a,
1: a thrilling Tetris adventure. Yeah, video game espionage. Okay, all right. And ISC has set a May 12th theatrical release for their Emily Browning and Patricia Clarkson starring drama Monica. And then Blumhouse has a new thriller called They Listen scheduled for an August 25th release. Details are scarce, but it stars Katherine Waterston and John Cho. And then Blumhouse has another horror film set for January 19th of next year. Um, It's a supernatural horror flick called Night Swim that will star Carrie Condon and Wyatt Russell. And then further in the distance, Ridley Scott's Gladiator 2 has been set for a November 22nd, 2024 release. It'll pick up a few decades after the original one, focused on the now grown Lucius, which was the kid of the um, walking Phoenix's sister in the original.
0: Oh, okay. All right. Now, who's playing him? I I saw it, but I forget.
1: Uh, Paul Meskel is starring. Right. And uh, Connie Nielsen and. Jaimon Hunsao are expected to return from the original. I'm sure they'll add some other cast members as they go along, but that's not a bad lineup to begin with. No,
0: Moscow, of course, so great and Oscar-nominated in After Sun right now, so yeah.
1: And then I've got one more project announcement for you. Uh, A sequel to Plane has been announced, and it's titled Ship. (laughs) And it'll follow Mike Coulter's character from the original film, or the first film, as he embarks on another action-packed adventure, uh, this time on a big shipping boat. And next year,
0: it's Skateboard.
1: Maybe. <laughs> maybe they can get Tony Hawk to be in with, yeah. in with that one. Uh, um, I guess Gerard Butler is only producing and maybe doing a cameo, but uh, project- so he'll have a new sidekick this time. Okay, so. My money is probably on Frank Grillo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I guess production will kick off later this year, and it will come out sometime in 2024, so maybe they'll start cranking them out year after year.
0: Yeah, just point at something, name it, and you're off and running. Right, this crib? Let's go. <laughs> uh, we can always uh, look for uh, Daniel on the socials for the latest news and info. You can find him at The Schlocketeer. Thank you much. Hey,
1: thanks for having me.
0: All right, looking ahead to next week. Ooh, little thing called Cocaine Bear.
2: Have you heard of it? <laughs> also, Been looking the- forward to it. Also the Jesus Revolution.
0: Uh, oh one that we've seen we've seen this a few weeks ago finally coming out. We think an Oscar nominee called Close.
2: Also Linoleum. Linoleum. Love that one.
0: Nice. A one called Juniper. Emily. Also the return of one of our favorite horror movies from what year did it actually come out originally? 2004? Okay, Call There is Love coming that. back. Love it so much. The First Fallen, 3 Day Millionaire, Nocebo. and the Unknowable. That's all next week. But what about this week? Ant-Man, Winnie the Pooh, what do you think? Maybe the short films are sharper. Let's talk. We can always keep the conversation going. On Twitter, you can easily find us at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus, And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews. And our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. That's all for you there at MadWolf.com. So we hope to hear from you. In the meantime, enjoy the movies. We'll talk again next week. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Screening Room Podcast.
2: See ya.
1: I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap.